Good morning. All right. So, I'm going to start this morning. Today's going to be different. It's going to be unusual. I know it's, you know, Church on the Rock, so what the heck could be unusual. But, uh, but I do feel like I need to start with uh, an explanation and an apology right up front. Um, the apology is to the women. I'm sorry, but today I'm going to primarily be talking to men. And, uh, and so watch your you know, feminine amens. And uh, the apology is because I'm going to be talking to men like men. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but we talk differently with each other. And so that's going to happen. Now, uh, men, uh, I'm not going to beat you up. I know that happens sometimes. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to encourage you, uh, but I am going to challenge you. But it is going to be different because when you talk to men like men, it's just different. I'll, I'll give you an example. There was a time when a young woman who went to our church a long time ago, not here anymore, uh, came to Rachel and I for counseling because she felt like she was a young uh, man trapped in a woman's body. And so we began to talk and I decided, well, in my head, I didn't tell Rachel this, I decided I'm just going to find out. I'm going to see if there's a young man in there. I'm going to start talking to her like I would a man. Uh, not vulgar or anything, just the way men talk. And I did that for about two minutes and Rachel's looking at me like, what the heck are you doing? And this girl's eyes are just getting bigger. And after about two minutes of that, I go, are you offended? And she goes, I said, yeah, there's no man in there. I said, this is the way we talk. You don't get it. You're all girl. She's happily married now to an actual man. So, I'm going to talk to men like men, ladies. Just forgive me, have grace, hang in there, okay? Uh, now, the reason I'm doing this, and I've honestly, I have never done this before, and I want to emphasize that because I want you to see that this is really God and not me. I have never done this before. Uh, just address the men like this. Uh, I don't do it on Father's Day or anything. We just, I'm doing it because I, I felt like God said to and uh, here's what's interesting. I was, uh, I, I keep this folder uh, that says teaching notes on it, which has notes about things I might want to teach on, right? So really descriptive. And uh, I had just put a piece of paper in there, I think at Tuesday morning prayer, jotting some notes down. I feel like God wants me to talk to the men. I feel like God wants me to talk to the men like men. And I'd written some verses down, I tucked it in my folder and thought, well, I'll pray about that because I was still doing our series on the fear of the Lord. And I go to pastor's prayer that Thursday and Ken Malone starts talking about this dream he had about men and how he's addressing his men and he's talking to God uh, or he's talking to his men about and I'm And I'm going, dang, I, I have never done this before and I just put those notes in my folder like two or three days ago. And so I'm going, this is not just me. This is God. And so I want you to hear, men, this is not just me. This is God 
speaking to a nation, it's time to address men. Okay? So that is what we're going to do this morning. Now, the reason uh, I speak to men differently is because men and women are different. I can't believe I have to say that. But I got to say that. Genesis 1.27 says, uh, God says, uh, he made mankind in his image, male and female, he made them. So men are made in his image. Women are made in his image. I don't think any of us have the whole image. So one's not better than the other. There are strengths and weaknesses in both. God put his image in all of us. And for some reason, I don't know why, I have speculations, but we probably shouldn't go there. Uh, he sort of divided himself up, put us in men and women. And so men and women are different, not just on the outside. They're different on the inside. They think differently. I know that's not popular. This is, I'm probably going to uh, set new records for political incorrectness today. But men and women are different, and they're different on the inside. And uh, I'm going to speak today in a lot of generalities, and I know there are exceptions. Please don't feel the need to email me and explain to me why you're different than other men or women. I will allow that you're odd, okay? <laughs> it's okay. Don't have to tell me. Understand I'm speaking in generalities, Dave. If it doesn't apply to you, just that's okay. You just be different. But here's the deal. We talk to men and women differently when we're alone because we're wired different. For example, here's the one I want to get into. Sometimes men are motivated by questioning their manliness. Now, you may not understand this. The men understand exactly what I'm talking about. Sometimes men are motivated by questioning their manliness. Let me give you an example. Uh, when I used to play football and then coach football, it would not be uncommon for me to see a scene like this. There is a coach standing on a blocking sled looking at two large, muscled young men saying, ladies, is that the best you can do? <laughs> now they are not offended at being called ladies. They're angry at having their manhood questioned. And on the next whistle, they're gonna try and hit that sled so hard that they knock the coach on his butt. Which is what he was after anyway. Men are motivated differently. Sometimes men are motivated by having their manliness called into question. It's very different, you gotta know this, because I went, when I was coaching high school football, I went from Friday night High school football, last game. Monday, I got roped into coaching girls basketball. It was a very different mentality. I had to learn new things. Why is my team crying? I never had to do that in football. We never had a team cry. So I had to learn, what do you do when your team's crying? Girls basketball was different than boys football. You understand? Men and women are different. So I'm gonna to talk to men like men this morning uh, because sometimes God does too. Now, I'm gonna give you an example out of Jeremiah. This is a time when God talks to men like men. I want you to hear something, we're gonna come back to this. Man, I hope you're paying attention. Jeremiah was a young man. He was not old, he was a young man, and he was given a ridiculous task. 
Uh, God says, Jeremiah, I want you to prophesy to an entire nation that I'm fixing to take into captivity and they're rebellious and they're not going to listen to a word you say. How's that for a job? Anybody want to sign up for that one? Jeremiah starts out with going, I'm too young for this, God. And God goes, nope, just say what I tell you, right? So there's this interesting exchange in Jeremiah chapter 12. Now, it starts in context I'm going to read you verse 5, but in verses 1 through 4, Jeremiah is saying something like this. He's going, God, how long are the wicked going to prosper? He may not have said it exactly like that. He might punch me when he sees me in heaven, but I'm, you know, helping out. How long are the wicked going to prosper, God? How long is it going to be like this? And I want you to notice God's answer in chapter 5. God says, and this is a famous verse, you guys might know about this. If you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with horses? And if in the land of peace in which you trusted they wearied you, then how will you do in the floodplain of the Jordan? You hear what God's saying to Jeremiah? He's going, dude, this is just you running with footmen. You're going to have to, you're going to get thrown in a pit while the enemies of Israel surround Israel and there's famine and they want to kill you. We're just getting started. Don't give up now. Buck up, dude. That's what he's saying. He's doing the coach on the sled thing there. He's going, hey, if you can't handle running the footman, what are you going to do when the horses show up? Jeremiah, buck up. You can't this is the time of peace. I'm just telling you what's coming. What are you going to do when you're in the middle of the floodplain of the Jordan? What are you going to do when it's wild and crazy, Jeremiah? Man up, dude. Do you hear me? Sometimes God will speak to men like men. He does it to me sometimes. One of my favorite verses is Proverbs 24.10 because God will poke me with it. It says, if you faint in the day of adversity, of adversity your strength is small. Tony's translation, if you give up when it gets hard, you're kind of wimpy. Now that's in the Bible, isn't it? Proverbs 24.10, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. And God is usually very gentle with me. He just is. I love that about him. But he will employ this verse. When I feel like giving up, that'll drift up. Kind of like God going, come on, Tony. Don't whip out on me, man. Don't faint now. You faint now, you're wimping out, Tony. You hear me? Now, it's okay for me to plead weak and ask God for strength. That's absolutely biblical and manly. It is not okay for me to plead weak and give up. That's absolutely wimpy. All right? So God will do this. Now, That's why I'm going to talk a little bit this way this morning. One of my favorite passages is 1 John 2.14. 1 John 2.14. I love this passage. I really want to go to a church where this passage is true. I really, 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 really do. I'm hoping it'll be us. I have written to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you young men because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the wicked one. I want to go to a church like that. 
where the men know God and the young men are strong and the word of God abides in them. They're overcoming the wicked one. Captivates me. So let's look at this. Let's start with fathers. I've written to you fathers because you have known him who's from the beginning. That's not just I know God, I got saved, I prayed a prayer. That's I know him. The one who is from the beginning. He's eternal. There are depths of wisdom in here and I've gleaned some of that. I've spoken with him. I've heard his voice. I've had experiences with him. I know him. That's what he's talking about. Fathers like that. And I don't care if you have children or not. If you're old enough to be a father, you can be a spiritual father. You can know him who's from the beginning. I want some men like that in church. It's talking about intimacy. Now, as soon as I say the word intimacy, uh, some of you men are going to look at me funny because you don't like that word because there's been an ongoing effort in America to feminize men. Here comes the political incorrectness. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about feminized men. I'm talking about manly intimacy. I'm talking about male bonding with God. All right? Now, let me explain that. And you women might not understand male bonding, so this will help you. Male, if you ask men who they've bonded with, who they're close to, all right? Again, not exclusively, but you'll find most of the answers will come predominantly in these three categories. Someone I served in the military with because shared conflict is a bonding experience for men. Someone I've played sports with because being on a team is a bonding experience for men. Or someone I've worked with or done projects with because accomplishment, doing things, is a bonding experience for men. And so we need to do that with God. We need to do those things with him. I'm not talking about feminized intimacy. I'm talking about male bonding with God. So let's go on. Uh, give you an example. Uh, and what you need to know about this, well, I'll, I'll help the ladies. I am going to help you a little bit out with this. Women will bond by talking about their feelings. You know that. You don't mind talking about your feelings. You like talking about your feelings. Yes. Men don't talk about their feelings unless they've already bonded. You need to understand that. We don't mind talking about our feelings, but we don't trust you with our feelings unless we've already bonded with you. So we don't bond by talking about our feelings. We talk about our feelings to people we trust, and that's it. You understand? So here's what happens. You put a bunch of women at a table as a leader, and, and she says, we're going to bond with one another by sharing our feelings. They'll probably go, all right, we'll give it a shot. You put a bunch of men at a table and say, we're going to bond with each other by sharing our feelings. And all the men are going to cross their arms and lean back. <laughs> and if I'm at the table, I'm going to go, no, we're not. <laughs> Tell you what I feel. I feel like America spends too much time talking about their feelings. We need to talk more about what we think and what we believe. In fact, I believe you may have a problem that you may have been feminized and maybe we can help you. Why don't we talk about what you think and what you believe, and maybe we can fix your problem. And notice that all the men who leaned back, when you said talk about feelings, just leaned forward when I said fix your problem, because that's what we do. We're men. We fix problems. Right? 
Now, if you're wondering why I'm channeling Tim Allen slash Tim Taylor slash Mike Baxter, it's because there's a reason that guy's popular. There's truth in the humor. You understand. So this is how men are. And so we need to get a handle on how men do intimacy because we need to do intimacy with God. Also, uh, by the way, and ladies, this might be helpful for you men, when we do talk about our feelings, we don't use a lot of words. Uh, we, just, we just don't. We're concise. Uh, I'll give you a, a beautiful example. I'm going to describe to you a male bonding moment that will bring tears to your eyes. You ready? Father and a son. Father says, son, let's build a shed in the backyard. We'll get lumber. We'll go to the lumberyard together. I'll teach you how to use power tools. It'll be great. And they build the shed, and they're all done, and they're standing in the backyard next to each other just staring at the shed. Here it comes. Father looks over at the son and says, it's a nice shed. The son looks back up at the father and says, yep. And they stare at the shed some more. Brings tears to your eyes, doesn't it? That's it. Bonded. Communicated everything that need to be communicated. Guys, get this. All right? Now, does not men, sorry, does not exempt you from listening to your wife when she wants to talk about her feelings. That will happen. And I'm sorry, I apologize if on the car ride home today, your wife turns to you and says, honey, do you, are we bonded? Do you trust me enough to share your feelings with me? <laughs> I apologize, I kind of set you up for that. Just say, yes, I'm feeling like lunch. How do you feel? Okay? Figured since I set you up, I should give you the answer. Now, why all this? Because, guys, you not to, need to not be afraid of intimacy, of being fathers who know him, who is from the beginning. I am convinced that God is calling men to greater intimacy. God is calling men to greater intimacy with him right now. It's very important. All over. America, all over the earth. God is calling men to greater intimacy with him. Why? Because the horses are coming. We've been running with the footmen. You think this is tough? You tired? The horses are coming. Men, the horses are coming. You had better get intimate with God or you're going to get trampled. You hear me? The horses are coming. God is calling men in this hour to greater intimacy with him. And you better get over the word intimacy being feminine and figure out how to do it like a man. You need to be close to God. You're going to need his strength. All right. Uh, well, that was fun. Let's go on. Young men. Oh, I'm excited about talking to our young men this morning. How many young men do we have here? By the way, I don't care how old you are. If you're 11 and you're like, I'm a man, I'll take it. If you're really to... You're ready to take responsibility for your spiritual walk. You're in, man. I'll call you a young man. But you've got to take responsibility. So, young man, listen to what God says here. He says he's calling young men because they're strong and the word of God abides in them. 
and they've overcome the wicked one. Calling young men to strength, to know the word, to do warfare, to overcome. I love that the very next three verses, 1 John 15 through 17, say, don't love the world, overcome the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Young men, old men, all men, all of us are going to be confronted with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And you will overcome those things, or they will rule over you, period. Period. And so young men are called to overcome strength, word, warfare. Now, here's the good news. You may not feel like that's you, but I'm telling you, young men, you're designed to overcome. Men are designed to overcome. It's in us. You ever wondered, women, why your men in your life will watch a movie with no plot whatsoever? Just because there's action? We know why. People are overcoming. I want to see somebody get their butt kicked. Right? It's, it's, it's in us. Look at the video games young men play. And by the way, young men, I get that that's feeding that desire for conflict in you, but, uh, and that's fine, but understand that's not real. I got a better battle for you. We'll talk about that later. Look at who's getting in fights and joining gangs, and trying to figure out how to express that thing that's in them, that conflict, that desire to overcome. I love a story uh, Monty Hancock used to tell about his son. When his son was about 11 or 12, he's home, homeschooling, I believe. He's home with his mom and his sister. And he's starting to be disrespectful. And so uh, Monty's wife talks to him about it. And Monty says, I'll handle it. You know, handle it. He started taking him to lunch. Solve the problem. You know why? Because he was becoming a young man. And he doesn't know how to do that. And he's got all this desire to overcome in him and this conflict going on and he's trying to figure out what do I do with this and all he knows is he's got two women telling him what to do all day and he's had enough of it <laughs> it's not okay for him to be disrespectful he just needed a man to come alongside and begin to teach him how to handle being a man how to learn how to be a man single moms awesome glad you're doing it at some point you're going to need some help from men Young men need old men to teach them how to do this. All right? Or they'll screw it up. They'll end up joining a gang and think it's just about fighting. Speaking of fighting, had a couple one time. Rachel and I are sitting talking to them, and the wife looks at me and she goes, One of our friends, we're good friends with them, so we see them a lot, but their son's kind of bullying our son. And she goes, How should I handle that? And I looked at her, and I looked at her husband. And I go, you shouldn't handle that. He should handle that. Because so, you can both tell him what's wrong. You can both tell him how to fight, but you're not going to understand the humiliation he feels by not manning up. You're not going to understand how he feels, but he feels like he should punch that guy. And maybe he also feels a little afraid. Maybe he also feels embarrassed because he's afraid. And he doesn't know how to be a man yet. And he's not sure what to do with that. And he thinks maybe he ought to hit that guy, but he's not sure that's right. And it probably isn't. 
But how does he deal with everything in me is telling me I'm wimping out? You don't know that feeling. He does. Just like I don't know how to tell a 12-year-old girl how to be a woman. I probably would mess that up. <laughs> right? You understand. So young men need this call. Now, the thing is, and you're going to understand why I'm going here in a minute, they're learning to be men, and they need to learn to be men from men who learn to be men. So it can end badly, all that overcome that's in us. You can end up with guys fighting, and guys in a gang, or guys spending their whole life playing video games, because that's the way they satisfy that. But it can also be a spiritual strength, and that's what God intends. God does intend for that overcome to be in us, young men, as a spiritual strength. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says to Timothy, the young man who Paul's training to be a pastor, says, you therefore, my son, be strong. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of his life that he may please him who enlists him as a soldier. Listen to Timothy's words to this young man. Be strong, find some other men who want to be strong that you can teach, and then head for warfare. Did you hear that? Be a soldier. Get to war. Get after it. Don't entangle yourself with the affairs of this life. Do war. That's Timothy's counsel. Paul's counsel to Timothy. You see it? So what I want to talk about this morning is this idea of feminization that's in the world. Now, we can do a pretty good job of resisting that because we've read the Bible. But I think it's crept into the church in one area that really, 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 really scares me. I think we feminize prayer. When did intercession become mostly a woman thing? When did intercession become mostly a woman thing? Because that's not in the Bible. If you look at the history of revival, and when I was, I, I caught this when I was listening to Kim Mullen's teaching. I've said many times, you cannot find a revival where it wasn't birthed in prayer. There's always prayer. You can always look at the prayer meetings that birthed revival. But he said something I hadn't caught. He said, it's also always been men praying. And I started thinking back to all the revivals I've read about. I went, he's right. He's right. There's always been men praying. Evan Roberts, somebody told Evan Roberts, uh, don't miss a prayer meeting because God might show up and you won't be there. So he didn't. He wouldn't miss a prayer meeting. He birthed the Welsh Revival. The uh, Second Great Awakening in New York it was birthed by businessmen, businessmen who would gather on their lunch hour at the corner church and pray for an hour. And it just kept growing. Uh, Charles Finney, uh, most of his success is attributed to uh, Praying Nash, this guy named Nash, who would go to towns where he was going weeks ahead of time and fast and pray until the atmosphere was ready for revival. When did intercession become women's work? It's not in the Bible. 
This is why I'm concerned about young men learning warfare. Because if they've been taught that this is what women do, they're not going to learn to war and to overcome. In 1 Timothy 2.12, we read that famous passage, uh, I don't permit women to teach or have authority over a man. And that has been misunderstood. I do not have time to teach on that and how that's been misunderstood and mistranslated. So I'll just give you the, the, the simple statement. He's talking about Diana worship, not about restricting women. Right. We're going to have women teach here next week. It's okay. It's not wrong. They'll be right up here teaching. <laughs> Here's what I find ironic. Some men will really make a point about verse 12. I don't want women teaching. I will, what about verse 8? Four verses before where it says, I would that all men everywhere pray. You okay with all the women doing your prayer meetings? You okay with all your church prayer meetings being women just as long as you get to teach? That doesn't sound right to me. I think if you're going to do verse 12, we ought to do verse 8. Are you with me? Prayer. Prayer, guys. So, the young man is trying to learn how to be a man of God. And he comes to church. Now, not this church, because we do better than average, I think. Our guys are pretty good. Uh, now, better than average is good, but that's really not my goal. God, give me a better than average church. No, it's not my prayer. It's higher than that. So, I am, I don't want you to think I'm busting on you. But I'm talking about the church across America. You go to the average church anywhere. Just pick a church, go to a prayer meeting. So you're a young man. You're 19. You're going, I'm going to learn how to be a man of God. And you show up at a prayer meeting at church. What do you see? Seven old women. What have you just learned about being a man of God? They don't pray. I'm in the wrong meeting. So you go home. And again, I know our men are better than this. I'm talking about our men. I'm talking about other men. You go home. And you go, yeah, my dad's a believer. He tells us what the Bible says. He takes out the trash. He fixes the truck. He prays over meals. But he doesn't do the real prayer. Someone has to stay up for an hour, get up early in the morning and pray. That's mom. Mom's the one that hears God. Dad just tells us what the Bible says. What have you learned as a young man? Are you with me, men? What are we teaching our young men about what it means to be a man of God? When did prayer and hearing God become women's work. So, young men, God is calling you to learn spiritual warfare. God is calling you to learn spiritual warfare. The flood's rising. You're not in the land of peace anymore. You're fixing to be in the floodplain of the Jordan. You're going to get swept away if you don't learn how to defend yourself in the Spirit. It's coming. Just like you told Jeremiah, what are you going to do when it's the floodplain? God's calling you to be young men who are strong, and the word of God abides in them, and they've overcome the wicked one. Now, about this thing about prayer, I know that some of this is just logistics. I know some of you men are thinking, I've got to get up in the morning and go to work. I can't come to morning prayer. That's fine. Take some initiative. Start a prayer meeting at work. Start a prayer meeting at some other time. Maybe I'll come. That's part of the excuse, but that's not all the excuse. And it's certainly not the excuse at home. And so our young men have to learn spiritual warfare. 
And uh, we got men that need to teach them that. Uh, Jeremiah and Aaron would be happy, young men, to teach you how to do spiritual warfare. If they won't, I will. But you have to show up for practice. Now, I know that when I say God is calling you to learn spiritual warfare, some of you are thinking, I'm not strong. I've only memorized two verses and the devil's kicking my butt. I'm not that verse. I'm not overcoming the evil one. I'm not the word of God isn't abiding me. I don't care. I don't care where you're at now. I just care where you want to be. If you want to go there, we'll help you. What you have to do is believe you are who God told you you are. Who you are who God made you to be. Now, a great example of this is Gideon. Gideon is in the book of Judges, chapter 6 and 7. Gideon is a young man who is hiding because the Midianites are bullies. And they keep coming and stealing his grain, their grain, all the Israelites' grain. And so usually when you thresh grain, you go up on a hilltop where there's wind and you throw the grain up and the wind blows away the chaff and the grain comes back down. He's in a wine press, which is a hole, threshing grain so he won't get seen. Right? Because he doesn't want the Midianite bullies to come take his grain. He's hiding. In the midst of hiding, an angel shows up and says these two things. I want to read you verse 12 and verse 14. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Hiding there in that wine press. <laughs> then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Young men, you don't have to be all that. All you have to do is be willing to hear God call you a mighty man of valor. Be willing to hear God say to you, go in this mind of yours and save Palm Bay and Melbourne. Have I not called you? You just got to be willing. So what happened to Gideon? Well, he offered an offering. It's the first thing he did. The only offering God wants from you is your hearts. So you'll have to give him your heart. You'll have to be fully in. Second thing he did was he teared down his dad's altar of Baal. There may be some altars in your life, maybe some idols that need to come down, young men. But the third thing he did was defeat the entire Midianite army with 300 men. <laughs> How's that? 300 men. He started with 20,000. God said, that's too many. It's too easy. We're going to put it on hard level. There's a story in Judges just a couple chapters earlier about Deborah, Barak, Jael, and Sisera. Now, here's the story. Deborah is a prophetess, and Barak is the general of the Israelite army. And Deborah goes to Barak and says, hey, it's time for you to go deal with Sisera and his army and wipe them out. And Barak steps up in his manliness and says, I'll only go if you go with me. So Deborah says, okay, I'll go, but uh, you're not going to get the glory. A woman's going to kill Sisera. That would be J.L., a little girl who drove a tent spike through his head. Right? Now, I got to admit, I have mixed feelings on this story because I, I, I really don't identify with Barak. I'm hoping 
that what I would say if Rachel came to me and said, hey, I've got a prophetic word. Here's a battle that needs to be fought. I'm hoping I wouldn't say, I'll do it, but you have to go with me because you're the prophetess. You got the word. You're more spiritual than I am. I'm hoping that wouldn't be my answer. I'm hoping my answer would be, great, got it. You stay here. I'll get the boys. We'll handle it. Amen. Right? But I'm torn because I really like JL, and I kind of want her on my team. She drove a tent spike through a general's head. I was thinking about talking to Jared about crop. Can we get the girls working with tent spikes? <laughs> be awesome. But I find it interesting because that whole dynamic goes on. And then we go into, right after that, the next chapter, chapter 5, we go into the Song of Deborah. Now, it says it's the Song of Deborah, so I don't know if she wrote it mostly. Uh, but it also says that her and Barak sing it together. So I don't know if it's a duet or if they, they, they take turns or they harmonize. I don't know, you know, kind of a, anyway. Uh, uh, there's still no longer an original copy out. But uh, anyway, they sing it and Deborah figures into it and Barak figures into it and JL figures into it. They all make it into the song. What I want you to see is the first part of the song. Judges 5.2, the very first line. It says, when leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. Now, there are unique Hebrew words used there that aren't commonly used. Leaders is literally when the long-haired, when the leaders lead is literally when the long-haired let down their hair. And people is literally army. When the long-haired let down their hair, when the army volunteers willingly, bless the Lord. Let me tell you what's going on here. It's different than what you think. It's not about women letting down their hair. It's about men letting down their hair. And it's different when women let down their hair than when men let down their hair. I don't know if you realize that, but it is. Men, uh, he's referring to here, are Nazarites. Uh, you guys, Samson is a great example. He was a Nazarite from birth. What did he do? Never cut his hair. It was one of the three things Nazarites were commanded to do, not cut their hair. And so, not everyone is a Nazarite from birth, like Samson or like John the Baptist. Um, some men would take a Nazarite vow for a period of time, for a year. And it was a, it was a consecration. It was an, I'm going after God with everything I have. See? See my long hair? See, I'm letting my locks down. And so, what, what this is, song is about is when the Nazarites, when the radically committed men when the men who are going for it and they've taken a Nazarite vow and they're, they're consecrated to God, they're going, I am all in. I'm praying, I'm fasting, I'm going after it. When they let down their hair, it was them going basically to the enemy, look, in the spirit. I don't have long hair. In the spirit, I have long hair. Look, look at my hair. This is how long. I've been going after God with my whole heart. I got an army with me. You want some of this? Enemies of God? That's what this verse is saying. She's going, oh, when the men who are committed, who have been going hard, let down their hair and go, here we go. When the army goes, that's right, we're following those guys. Bless the Lord. People are going to die. Enemies of God are going down. Isn't that awesome? I don't know about you ladies, but for guys, that's kind of stirring. Now, Samson 
was a great example of this. Samson was kicking butt and taking names until he let a chick cut his hair. Men, young men, do not let the effort at feminization in the earth cut your spiritual hair. Grow your hair. Go for God. Be an Azurite. Consecrate yourself. All right, probably enough of that. Let me get back to Ken Malone's dream. Because this is kind of what confirmed this whole thing for me. And what I'm really at after here is, is prayer, which you're going to see here in a minute. Ken Malone's dream, here's what he saw. In his dream, he saw men. Uh, he saw a room full of men. He was one of them. They were actually men that represented every state. He was representing Florida. He saw a room full of men on their knees or on their faces, groaning like they were having a baby. And they were, they were groaning in intercession. They were in deep intercession. And uh, their wives were standing over them, guarding them so that no one interrupted them while they interceded. Interesting dream, isn't it? Now, by the way, I'm just going to throw in a commercial here. Last Thursday, uh, Ken Malone and Tim Franklin and I agreed that we're going to have a prayer meeting Saturday, November 20th at 10 a.m. at Freedom Christian Center. Only men. No women. Sorry. Only men. It's going to be a manly prayer meeting. Just want you to put that on your calendars. That was a commercial. November 20th. At least three churches involved probably would be more because men need to pray like men. Now, let's get back to the Bible part. Here's what is interesting. When Ken had this dream, God immediately took him to Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 6. It says, Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor and all faces turned pale. is exactly the thing that Ken saw in his dream, right? So here's the thing. The context of that passage is the day of the Lord. That's the day of the Lord. That's the one where uh, Israel is huddled in Jerusalem and the nations have gathered together in the valley of Megiddo and they're fixing to come and destroy Jerusalem. You read about that also in Zechariah chapter 12, and it talks about that same time frame, the nations gathered, and Israel distressed. And it says at that time, he will pour out a spirit of supplication on Israel, a spirit of intercession. It's the same picture, groanings, birthings. Here's what I want you to get. Israel represents the promise of God. Israel is going to be the city on the hill. Israel is, uh, or, I'm sorry, Jerusalem. It's going to be the city on the hill. It's going to be the place of peace. It's going to be the place where uh, swords are beaten into plowshares. The nations will come to Israel. Uh, the Messiah will reign from Israel. It's the place of promise. And there's an army in the valley of Megiddo that wants to destroy Jerusalem, destroy the place of promise. And God raises up men groaning in intercession and places them between the enemy of God and the promise. You see it? Men between the enemy and the promise. Now, with that in mind, 
listen to this verse out of Ezekiel and this verse out of Isaiah. Both of these verses are in the context of when Israel is going into captivity. In Ezekiel twenty-two thirty. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. The next verse is unpleasant. It doesn't go well. I looked for a man who would make a wall and stand in the gap. Isaiah 59, we read this a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the fear of the Lord. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. We talked about how this describes so accurately our country. For truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. So truth fails and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and he wondered that there was no intercessor. Gentlemen, God is always looking for men to intercede between the enemy and the promise. Is there a promise here on Melbourne Palm Bay? You betcha. Is there an enemy that wants to destroy it? You betcha. What's going to make the difference? Men standing in the gap. Men who are willing to labor between the enemy and the promise. You see it? So, let me put it this way. A move of God is coming. I don't know when, but a move of God is coming here. I don't know when. And maybe if you're still here, you'll get to say, I participated in a move of God. You know what I'm going to get to say? I'm going to get to say, I birthed a move of God. That's my baby. In the 90s, we had a move of God. I birthed that move of God. That's my baby. Now, in case that sounds arrogant, I'm not the only one. There are lots of other men and women who labored in prayer when it was hard and when nothing was going on. I'm not the only one who birthed it. But that's my baby. I birthed that. I didn't just participate. So the question is to you, when the next move of God comes, are you content to participate? Or do you want to be able to say, that's my baby. I birthed that. I labored for that thing. I stood in the gap between the promise and the enemy. I was a man of God. I sensed that God was calling me to greater intimacy. I stepped up. I was a young man. And I embraced being strong. The word of God being in me and overcoming the evil one. And I stepped up. you want a war, I got a war for you. It's way more real than the video game wars. You want a team, Jesus has an awesome team. In Romans and Hebrews, to put those together, we find that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, ever living to do what? Make intercession. Let's get on that team. You want an accomplishment? How about birthing a move of God? Who wants to birth a move of God? You with me? So, here's the deal. You got to decide, men, young men, what the plan is. Maybe, here's a good plan, maybe we can get the women to pray in a move of God. And then we could just take over and say, thanks, we'll take it from here, we'll do all the teaching. 
going to let that settle. Or we can go, no, 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 no. I'm birthing this thing with you. You're not birthing this thing without me. I'm getting in the gap. I'm getting between the enemy and the promise. Prayer is not women's work. Intercession is not women's work. Or not only women's work. For God's sake, don't start, stop praying women. You hear me? Talking to men like men this morning. So, at Church on the Rock, we will respect, we will honor, we will appreciate, we will encourage strong women. Women will teach. I want women here to do every single thing they're gifted and called to do. I am not afraid of that. Let's do it. Women, keep praying. Please keep praying. But, men, we must be men. We can't turn our responsibility over. God is calling men back to their place in Him. I'm telling you guys, I hear the horses coming. I feel the floodwaters rising. We got to step up. So I want to end with this passage. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Paul's wrapping up his first letter to the Corinthians. And he says this, and I'm doing it in the New American Standard because it's a literal translation. This is literally what it says, what the Greek says, and I like this better. It says, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. <laughs> that was in the punctuation. It's time to act like men. Time to be strong. So here's what I want to do. I want to uh, ask Jeremiah and the band to come up. We're going to go into worship. Now, uh, I'm feeling like having some manly worship this morning. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> it, might, it might mean laying on our faces. might mean jumping and shouting. Um, we might do some flexing. I don't know. Uh, young guys might start a mosh pit. Whatever. Haven't done that in a long time. But I, I, I kind of like the idea of our men leading. So if you're here today, again, I don't care where you're at. I don't care if you're going, hey, I, I'm not there yet. If there's a yes in your heart, I want to be a father who knows the father. I want to be a man who knows God. I am, I'm after going for more intimacy. If you're a young man and go, well, I'm not there yet, but I want to be. It's not enough for the, I'm not going to let the girls in youth group, you know, bring all the presence of God and we'll just play in the band. I got to have this. I want to be a young man who's strong and the word of God abides in him. He's overcoming the wicked one. If that's you, I want to invite you to come up here this morning and help us lead worship. I just want to get the men up front leading. Uh, you're just going to worship like you normally would. You're just going to do it from up here. So, men, consider yourself invited. <laughs> Any of that spoke to you, come up here and let's let our hair down and worship God like men. And uh, whoever's out there, y'all follow along. Do what you want to do. Uh, I, want some, I want some manly worship this morning. You guys up for that? Okay, that was your invitation. I'm, I'm expecting someone <laughs> to respond. Amen. All right, here we go.